Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and I'm joined on the show this week by fellow consultant, Ali O'Shaughnessy. Hey, Ali, how you doing? Hey, Dom. I'm great. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. Hey, I'm doing well because I was reading a little article this morning, popped up on my LinkedIn feed, and it kind of you know looked interesting. It's uh, from Harvard Business Review called What Makes Leadership Development Programs Succeed? So that sounds a bit like us. So I gave it a click and I, it was quite interesting. And I thought it was brand new. It's from February, but new to me at least. So what I was thinking, it's basically there's a group of researchers who went through and looked at a bunch of different leadership development programs with sort of, you know, across a thousand participants or something. And they were looking for long-term what had the most impact, what made them succeed or not. And so I thought it might just be interesting, given what we do to, to see what their insights were. They've got sort of seven tips, seven ideas to take away and, and see how we can fold what we do into it or what we can learn from these tips that are in there. What do you reckon? Sounds like a great plan, Dom. All right. So the the article I think I said was what makes leadership development programs succeed. I'll put a link to it in the description. So if you want to read the full article, you can go and do that. I'll cherry pick out some little quotes. I'll kind of um, take parts from it as we go, and then we can discuss it as we go along and, and see their tips. But they're basically saying in the kind of intro, they did a, a series of experiments, longitudinal surveys an analysis of quantitative and qualitative data for more than a thousand participants in six different leadership programs in companies and schools around the world. And they found that under the right circumstances, it could have a uh, leadership development can have a huge impact both on employees and employers. And then they talked about how that can foster improved engagement and effectiveness, empowering leaders to better support their teams and organizations. But they're saying in, in many cases, it actually failed to get there, a lot of programs weren't successful, which was interesting. And so to address that gap, they've identified seven areas for us to have a look at, seven tips from them. So the first one, Ali, was focus on whole person growth. That's tip number one. So they said leadership mm. development is less about learning specific tactical skills than it is about cultivating the broad capabilities such as self-awareness or resilience that are necessary to adapt to dynamic, evolving challenges. These attitudes and behaviors are inherently widely applicable, and so effective leadership development must work with and transform not just leaders' performance of concrete job tasks, but their whole selves. So true. Yeah, what do you reckon? Yeah, absolutely. That sounds a lot like the lifestyles inventory, what the work that we do, particularly the the self-awareness part that they spoke of there, Dom, and the attitudes and behaviours. Yeah. Attitudes and behaviours walk around with us, don't they? They're not just at work with us. That's it. It's not just work. So it's that, they say, whole person growth. Mm. So it's not just yeah you as the completer of tasks, I suppose, at work, but uh, you as a person. And I think one of the powerful things with the Lifestyles Inventory is that it is about life, not mm. just about work styles or leadership styles or you know, whatever else people might call it. But it's about life because you've got the same head on your shoulders within the office or outside, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting when I work with people, for those people who've experienced the lifestyles inventory and had some coaching around that and have had some experience building their self-awareness through the lifestyles inventory, you know, they come to their, their second time around going through the experience and they've already got, you know, a sense of the holistic nature of it and they're looking forward to to seeing, you know, where they've come and they're, they're really keen to share the insights and what they learned through, you know, the, their last experience with it and, and what's changed. And those who, for whom it's new, they, it's interesting, I think, some people come in and they kind of expect a chat about their job and about work, but they don't expect a really deep and personal conversation around what's meaningful for them and what's going on in their life. And that's really usually where the conversation goes because it's it's the lifestyles inventory and it's it's difficult to to have a genuine, authentic conversation about how you're thinking and how you're feeling and how that's translating into your experience and your life satisfaction as the inventory determines or shows us without talking about your broader life and understanding that and bringing that into our awareness as well. So totally. And and on the, um, you know, outcomes, we ask, you know, satisfaction with leisure time and family and all this stuff, because sometimes people can operate in a way where it works at work but the cost might be outside of work and to themselves. So so it's interesting, you know, and, and how many times have has someone come up and said, you know, the LSI, oh, it was really good for work, but but for me it was actually helped me with the, the relationship I have with myself or my kids or my partner or, you know, stuff that has nothing to do with work. I mean, self kind of does, but, you know, all the time, right? It's like not even about work. But the beauty is, I reckon, Ellie, like even if the value people get for it isn't, directly work itself, if we're more effective in life, that's going to spill over into work and vice versa for that matter. You know, they impact each other because we're one person at the end of the day. Some of the quotes, they had a few quotes. They said, one executive in our studies explained, this program is transforming not just how I lead, but how I live. Another remarked, this program opened up not only the possibilities in my career, but the possibilities within myself. That's that self-awareness stuff, isn't it? Yeah. And I think you know, so many people haven't had the opportunity to really take the time and the space to just slow down, think about these things and at a detailed level and think about. So go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I love it, Ellie, because you're getting into their tip number two, actually. Oh, With this, segue. Their, their tip number two. Yeah, it's beautiful. You couldn't have serendipity. I love it. So their second tip is provide opportunities for self-reflection and meaning making. And they said some of the main ways in which leadership development creates values for employees is by offering the chance to take a pause from the daily grind and reorientate their self, work, and life. This Mm -hmm. can in turn lead to a renewed sense of purpose at work and beyond. One participant reflected, the program helped me slow down and intentionally consider my purpose in life. It was the first time in years I allowed myself to consider why I'm here, why I do what I do, what my purpose is, how I show up in the world and how I want to show up moving forward. You know, so you're all over it. You're you're on the next tip. We didn't even need the research, Ali. <laughs> um, but, you know, that sounds like an LSI conversation, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it really does. Intentionally consider my purpose in life, and it was the first mm. time I had time to consider those questions. Yeah, and, you know, it makes sense 
for most people, we, we haven't had the opportunity to do this through our careers or through our lives. We haven't stopped and, and thought about it. We've, we've kind of moved between one thing and the next. We've moved mm-hmm. from one step to the next step. We've probably sped up rather than slowed down. We've had more <laughs> things join our lives, <laughs> little people, big people, <laughs> other things. Yep. And so, you know, our life domain has probably, our home domain's probably expanded in some circumstances. Our work domains have become certainly faster. I think no one would disagree with the pace and urgency that we currently operate in. So it's a real gift, I think, and it's it's just fantastic that organisations are recognising the real synergistic relationship between well-being and effectiveness and how that flows into how we, you know, it's pretty simple really, makes sense, you know, how we feel impacts how we able to, yeah, operate, be effective and connect with other people. Yep. We're open and expansive and we're able to grow compared to, you know, when we're feeling pretty awful and we don't know why or we do know why, but we're closed and unable to move or, or lead how we really could. So, you know, logically it makes sense. Um, and when you reflect on it, yes, it makes sense. But the point is we don't usually take we the don't time. Do it. Yeah. Totally. And not just individuals, but I say the same thing for teams. Really mm. take the time out to consider how they're traveling. It says in here, a bit further on in that section, to make the most of this rare opportunity, it is crucial to give employees plenty of time and space for structured self-reflection and to explicitly encourage them to reflect on their purpose. And I think what came to mind when I heard that, Ali, was what we often talk about in accreditation. So if you're an accredited practitioner, you've probably heard this, is AAA or awareness acceptance action. And so it's often in how we structure programs and training is people have to move through those steps, right? And so if we come to do a debrief, first step, awareness, we're just going to explore your LSI together. We're going to be curious, ask lots of questions. But then it's allowing some time for that acceptance. Here's the report, go away, ponder it, have a think about it. You can read through it. You can read the development guide, right? But leaving it with them for some time to reflect on before we then jump into actions. You know, that might be the next time we get together in two, three, four weeks, whatever it is. But that reflection time, I think, really allows it to to land for people. Like, yes, I recognize that way of thinking or, or behavior or whatever it might be, makes them then ready as well to actually take action. I think sometimes people can push too fast for the action and and actually they're not there yet. They're not ready yet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we all, you know, that's natural, right? We see something that we'd like to be better and we want to make it better as, as quickly and easily and as fast as possible. With thinking and behavior, it's a slower, a slower process. But I find, as you say, Dom, really encouraging people to take the time to sit with their data and in particular their LSI one, their own thoughts about themselves. Mm. And letting that settle and wait, kind of wait for those insights to come. And they're not going to come when you sit there and really try and think of them. They're not available, I find, (laughs) when you really think. Will them out. Yeah. No. What insight did I get? (laughs) And, you know, the harder you try to think about it, you know, the more difficult it is to find them. So 
I say to people, you know, just take it away and it's okay to leave it. I say, don't leave it in your bottom drawer for the rest of, you know, for the next six months, but it's okay to put it down for a couple of days, so that the report and just think about the conversation that we've had though and just let it tick around in your head. You know, don't try too hard. The insights are going to come when they're ready and you'll notice you'll just start to notice things differently. I think that's the process that we take people through the triple A process. When you're moving from awareness into acceptance, people say, I was in this meeting or I was in the car or I was, you know, picking up my kids from school and I realized, and they'll say, you know, something that they thought or something that happened and they'll link it back to something that, you know, we'd sort of touched upon in their LSI. And so those sorts of insights start to come at really random moments and over a few weeks usually by the time we catch up again then they've got some more you know another layer a deeper layer of awareness to start to think about where they want to focus their attention and their time and I think when you talk about action Dom I always say well it's just we've only got a really finite amount of time and a really finite you know amount of attention so where do we want to place our time and our attention so that's kind of what the action part is. It's This is the part that's going to make the most difference to me and my life. Mm. Love it. The tip three, which is interesting, it kind of, I hadn't quite thought about it this way, but it says, offer targeted programs to support leaders with acute or chronic stress. In our research, mm-hmm. we found that effective leadership development gave participants a new sense of focus and direction, which often improved happiness and reduced stress. As one leader described, remembering to focus on my purpose in life and actively identifying how the tasks I perform relate to my purpose has given me more peace with the work I am and am not performing. As a result, it has positively contributed to my long-lasting happiness. And just further on, it says, this suggests that employers should prioritize leadership development when stress due to collective or personal challenges is particularly high, as these initiatives can help de-stress employees and bolster psychological resources. That's a really interesting one for me because because often, you know, people are like, oh, we're too busy right now, which I guess if I'm equating busyness with stress. But, you know, mm. it's like, oh, we're too busy for that program right now. But this is suggesting that maybe that's the exact time you need to do it. Yeah, and that's the thing. <laughs> the, the stress is obviously, it's easy to say it's within the person's own way of thinking, but it is, right, I suppose the cause and the effect of how I'm thinking and how I'm feeling that I'm able to cope, what capacity I have to respond to what's going on. Do I have the resources to deal with the situation around me? Do I have the interpersonal connections to support me? Do I have the technical capability to deal with this? So when we're starting to move you know, into the red and green on the, the circumplex, the defensive styles that tend to bring that stress, that worry, that anxiety around the green or that sort of pressure, that build up and that urgent activity around the red, it's really just saying, hey, I'm, I'm not coping. I'm not feeling that I'm able to, to attend to all of these things as my whole self, getting back to that whole self part. So and as you alluded to or you mentioned before, Dom, you know, there's a cost so that it, whether it's acute or chronic, it, it's just it's down in the bottom of the circumflex. Um, really calling out that cost of the current situation, whether that be home, work, or the combination of both. And I think it it's really important. I think sometimes the process of working 
through the steps of the LSI helps people realize, as you mentioned in the article, you know, I actually am burnt out. I do need to take a little bit of time. I do need to redirect and reorient it here because this isn't sustainable. That's what they realize. It's not a sustainable, it's not sustainable for them. And so it is important to, I guess, for us as practitioners to, I guess, notice and um, make sure that some individuals may need a little bit of extra support and coaching and make sure they have some other support kind of wrapped around them in addition to, you know, when when we um, hand them back or hand them over back into into their working environments. I wonder, Ali, it makes me, um, this is just a thought, I'm totally just throwing this out here, not thought out, so I'm thinking out loud, but it makes me wonder, is there a, a role or an opportunity for like a tactical LSI one, right? As far as like someone's in the pincer grip, they're in the stress zone, right? And is there like, you know, it's a short, like one hour tactical LSI one, probably with someone who's already familiar with it, but you get in, you talk, what's going on for you? Where's your thinking at? You know, what are you telling yourself right now? What would the constructive approach be? Because sometimes you're like, the clouds are over. I'm right in the the thick of it, you know, and it's like, oh my God, I'm under so much pressure. And that can push, pulls, sometimes when you're in that pressure, it pulls you down into that self-doubt or overcautious or, you know, Avoidant. Like worry yep. or something like that space. Or it pulls you maybe to the other side where, oh man, I feel like I need to prove myself and beat others and I'm out there on my own or, or something like that. And so I wonder, again, just speculation, could you do like a tactical LSI one? only where it's just like a chicken that chance to hit the pause button where am i at what's going on for me you know and maybe it's a bit of an opportunity to reset mm-hmm. i don't know i mean yeah this is, good I'm, idea dom like I'm a mini proven. a mini lsi a, a mini moment like a mini moment yeah a mini moment so there you go i haven't done it i haven't used it like that but you know curious it sounds like what you're sort of talking about is something to help people reset Recognize reset. reset. Exactly. Yeah, Recognize a breaker, reset. a circuit breaker. A circuit breaker. Exactly. That's mm. what I'm thinking. Yeah. Maybe. Who knows? Someone can try it. Let us know how it goes. <laughs> Maybe I'll try it and I'll let you know how it goes. How about that? Sounds good. <laughs> Maybe I'll do it on myself. I'll get someone to do it for me next time I'm in the pincer group. How about that? We'll see if it's <laughs> useful. I'll have a go if you like, Tom. Yeah, great. <laughs> uh, number four, don't underestimate short intensive programs. One of the most interesting findings in our studies was that shorter programs often yielded surprisingly large improvements. In some cases, we found that two- or four-day intensives had the same or even greater impact than an equivalent four-week program, and some even led to increases in well-being on par with those observed after therapeutic mental health interventions. Interesting. Uh, The context I get from this one, Ali, is it sounds more like, because they talked about this is in companies and schools i wonder Hmm. a four-week course i don't know maybe companies are putting on four-week courses but it sounds more like a a university course kind of thing to me i don't know but but interesting that you know it seems to be saying you can actually get a lot done in a short amount of time yeah it'd be interesting to see what the differences are between you know what the intensive programs what the content of that what the the purpose and the the outcomes are versus the the longer ones but yeah, it's. I think you know. Of course, I'm biased, but I think any any program is better than no program. I think any program where people are able to take some time and reflect, understand 
what's going on for them and how that is helping or limiting them. And if they're learning kind of a framework that they can, as you say, you know, kind of connect into like a tactical LSI, any version of that, and whether that's done through a a longer program or a shorter program. Look, I think the benefits of a longer program are that where people can tend to lose a little bit of momentum through a process, we tend to gravitate back to what we know over time. So the check-in type process I find is helpful for people and whatever that whatever form that could take that might be connecting with peers or that might be connecting you with a, a manager but I think it needs to be some form of symbol or signal or, or, or some form of continuing to keep the content or the thinking around around this learning and the reflections to keep it top of mind to continue it so they would agree with you, Ali. So you, you've you've done it again, serendipity. You got one of their other tips. So they talk about, because this one was about don't underestimate short intensive programs. If I skip number five and just go to number six, it, well, it's uh, ensure that short-term growth leads to sustained long-term impact, which is kind of what you're talking to, I think, Ali. So a large uh-huh. body of psychological research has shown that when a change in well-being is initiated by a one-time event, the boost often fades away over time. In general, people adapt to their new realities, and so short-term improvements don't necessarily lead to long-term transformation. In light of this, organizations would be wise to distinguish between short-term success and true sustained impact and ensure that their development efforts avoid prioritizing the former at the expense of the latter. While it's often easier to measure immediate results, the most effective programs build on these initial changes with reminders and other ongoing interventions designed to establish long-term habits and continued engagement. So I think that last bit there is particularly what you're talking to, Ellie. So how do we keep it alive? How do we keep it top of mind rather than the sugar hit? You know, And sometimes I reckon leadership programs can be a bit of the sugar hit. We come out, we're fired up, we feel good, and then you know, next week we go back to the way things always were. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so yeah. how do you sustain that? Yeah. And look, I think obviously having multiple checkpoints along the way and, and ways to keep this top of mind for people would, is, is wonderful for ourselves as well. The opportunity to remeasure, you know, with LSI is fantastic. And I'm sure you've met some people along your way, Dom, that have remeasured every year for, you know, 15 years and just watched and reflected upon their their change and their growth as as their lives have evolved and changed and they've kind of used it the LSI as a something to continue to center them and keep them focused and oriented as they change as their life change changes and i think it's a great point you know with the LSI is designed to be a test retest tool and our recommendation is kind of 12 to 24 months after the original test, uh, not in three months, you know, and now it'd be great for business if someone bought a LSI every three months, but that's kind of talking to the sugar hit, isn't it? Like I can sustain it for a short period, like a couple of months, but we're looking for long-term change, you know? And so, Hey, over a year or two, we're now getting in past the initial sugar high and into, okay, how do we actually sustain this stuff and build it into our ways of operating and thinking and and all that. 
And it's also, I think, just in, in the way we typically structure programs, we'll you know, have the debrief, let them go away, think about it, have the action planning. But I love to do a handover with their manager as well. You know, The goal being, I want them to talk to, these are the insights I've had, these are the actions I'm working on, and this is the support I need from you as, as my leader. And what we want to do is build it back into the monthly one-on-one that they should be having about you know, their direct reports, development and goals and where are they and all that kind of stuff. And so that's what you were talking about, that reminders, keeping it top of mind. You know, we're going to check in. It's a standing item in our monthly one-on-one that we're going to talk about. You know, you said you want to work on X. You know, where are you at? What's happened? What's next? You know, that whole conversation is ongoing. It doesn't walk out the door with the coach. Yeah. And that's really important and a great opportunity for the man- for people's managers, the individual and their manager to get together and have a really open, honest conversation that's, you know, non-judgmental. And in most, many, many organizations that we work with, it's, it's great when you've got a leadership team that, that also go through the program and then, you know, that they're willing to share their own insights with their direct reports and share what they're learning and their growth opportunities as well. So that is just kind of a conversation about how we are growing and changing as opposed to confronting difficult session that people are running away from. It's it's mm. not that. It doesn't mm. become that. So mm. it's the more we talk about it, I suppose the more the more the language becomes common and used, the more it's it's just easier to flag and to ask for support, as you say. People understand each other. So that is obviously a better outcome. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go back to number five because we skipped it over. So number five was acknowledge and address psychological barriers to growth. Not everyone is equally open to self-improvement. In particular, our research found that people who had the most clarity in their sense of self and who were highly conscientious exhibited the least positive change in response to development programs. Interestingly, these individuals also tended to have higher incomes, suggesting that these traits may be tied to status and salary. They said, of course, a strong sense of self isn't a bad thing. Our results may simply reflect that these individuals are already strong leaders and thus have less need for further development. However, it's also possible that seeing themselves too positively may prevent leaders from being vulnerable and thus making them less willing to develop further. What's your take on that? Mm, Well... Status, salary, I'm thinking so complex, power, red styles, aggressive, yeah. defensive. Yeah, I'm seeing a bit of a light and a bit of an alignment to our aggressive defensive styles there. And, and well, I was gonna say it's interesting because in our correlations that sit under the LSI, aggressive defensive styles are negatively correlated with an interest in self-improvement. And, yeah. and yeah. also negatively, because if you think about it, over there can be a bit of invulnerability, I think, do you know, like, because mm. I, I have to prove myself, right? So I can't show any uh, weakness. It's also negatively correlated with interpersonal effectiveness and task effectiveness, but they are positively correlated with salary and job level, I think. Promotion, yeah. Something like that, yeah, mm. uh, positively correlated, which is curious. So we we reward it, it would seem to say to me. Mm. And so if we put that lens on it, it sounds like it's a tougher job getting people 
who might be on that side of the fence interested in, in changing and growing. But that said, Ali, I feel like I've had lots of conversations with people who are over there. It's really just opening up. It works for you at some level, right? Hey, you're a senior executive. It's obviously worked for you at some, some level. Does it ever come with a cost? And I think it's back to that whole self thing again. Sometimes the cost is outside of work, right? I'm working 23 hours a day, which isn't great for my health, you know, my leisure time, my family, like all that kind of stuff. Cost could Mm. be outside. Yeah. Or the, you know, the cost to relationship, right? The other side of the circumplex. And there's the person that sort of feels kind of stuck that this is the only way I know how to operate and be successful in a work sense, in a role, position, title sense. But I'm pretty sure I don't have a lot of people who like me around here. You know, relationships-wise, I I don't – it's kind of lonely at the top type thing. So, yeah, it's the person who, you know, the Alice I won, again, talking, they're feeling like that they're having to defend through looking good all the time. They're probably exhausted. The cost, and they're probably burned out. They probably have some health issues, and they probably know that there's been a cost to relationship, and that probably doesn't sit well with them. But they've kind of endure it, you know. And maybe they look for relationships outside of work. I wonder as well, Ellie. I feel like off more often than on the green side. You get people who say, I am a perfectionist. I am competitive. I am, you know, all these things, implying that, like, that's who I am. There is no changing, Mm. you know? And, like, I've had leaders say, you know, I am direct, right? That's me. You've got to learn to deal with it, right? Honesty. But, Mm. you know, my challenge back is, hey, we can be direct is all good. I love direct. Let's be direct. But we can be respectfully straight rather than the sledgehammer of truth. Do you know what I mean? Like we can have a straight conversation, but we don't need to like whack someone between the eyes with the four by two in order to do it. So maybe there's that. There's kind of a belief that I almost can't change or it's worked so well for me, but I guess it's making them aware of, well, maybe there are some trade-offs, possibly. Just something to think about. On the flip side, Ali had talked about a strong sense of self as well, which I kind of hear self-actualizing or something Mm, like that, potentially, right? But that may be, they said, of course, a strong sense of self isn't a bad thing. Our results may simply reflect that these individuals are already strong leaders and thus have less need for further development, maybe. Because I guess Mm. if if I'm thinking of an LSI debrief with the the dreaded constructed profile, oh my God, what value do I add here? My challenge usually, because it's not like, you know, without nitpicking into it, there's not much improvement per se. For me, that conversation is more, how do you sustain it? How do you help others? You know, how do you spread it to others kind, of, kind yeah. of conversation? So I guess there's less to like, because there's not much room to grow, but it's how do you sustain it? How do you help others with it? Yeah. And I think probably what sits behind the self-actualizing style and their perspective on their growth and how they're feeling around that is where I tend to head when I have a really particularly constructive LSI one to to have a chat about. Usually someone that feels that they're very, you know, they have a very strong extension in self-actualizing doesn't mean that they're not, that they're saying, I've got it all together. They're just saying, I'm continually growing and I'm making mistakes all over the place, but I'm continually growing. So there's, there's always, you know, something to talk about in, in terms of how they could continue to grow 
because that is in fact what self-actualizing is. I want to continue to grow. So yeah, that's an interesting point that you raise there though, Dom. Mm. Yeah, true. I mean, you're right. It's not it's to it's the pursuit of becoming self-actualized, mm. to becoming our best self. Well, the curious thing is when you have those debriefs with super constructive people, usually they're really like curious and interested and ah, oh, you know, so but often, you know, if you then look at the outcome items, they're usually pretty satisfied with how things are going too, you know, so. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, what I love about those sorts of connections when we get them is those people didn't just arrive there randomly and they didn't just, you know, color it in blue because it's the thing you should do. You know, the reflection on how they got there, you know, what have you done? And the particularly the the people who say, oh my gosh, that's, that's such a surprise to me. Or, you know, that's, I'm real. I'm so proud of that because I've really worked at that. And three years ago, I would have been completely different or I was completely this sort. So I guess my point is just that, you know, it's very different personality and it's very different from those sorts of personality type measures. This is our thinking and we can change it. And people who put in the time and attention to change it, they do. And when they're able to do the LSI again and they can sit there and say, I have worked on, you know, I had someone recently and she said, I've worked on these two things over two years and I think I've, I've got there. And then she says, and now I have, as you said, Dom, and now I have to keep it. Now we have to keep it there. Now yeah. That, that's the challenge. Awesome. Their last tip here. Ali is embrace online learning. Mm. Uh, finally, as remote work increasingly becomes the norm, many organizations have begun exploring online leadership development options. Blah, blah, blah. Some leaders remain understandably uncertain about whether online programs can be as effective as in person ones. Despite these concerns, our studies offered cause for cautious optimism. We found no significant differences between online and in person programs as far as their impact on personal growth and well-being. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I guess I, I think about that like, you know, pre-pandemic, we were a 99% face-to-face business, mm-hmm. right? And in fact, if you had have asked us then, we probably would have told you, you know, can you do a remote LSI debrief? We would have said no, unless like you absolutely have to because they're on the other side of the world or really remote, you know, country or, or whatever. But for me, at least, I've come around a long way on that stuff. Like online debriefs, I kind of think work really well. Yeah, I have to admit, I I probably would have been skeptical too had had it not just you know actually awesome. happened. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I I'm always oh yes, no in person. I'm a, a people person. I love to connect. But I actually find, particularly with some people, I had someone the other day say to me, you know what, you know, thanks for the session. And she said, I don't think I would have been able to be as open and vulnerable if we had have had this in person. Interesting. Mm. So there's definitely some absolute benefits. My little theory there, Alien, and I have no research to back this up, but my little theory is because often when you do a remote debrief, people are at their home. And so they're in a kind of safe, comfortable space for themselves and maybe can be a bit more open. Because sometimes if you're in the office, especially if you're in the glass the glass meeting room that has the big window and everyone's walking by, do you know what I mean? Like 
it's a different setting. It's a different vibe. And I think sometimes people are just more relaxed in their own setting, perhaps depending on what's, what their own setting is. But do you know what I mean? Absolutely. That's a theory. Yeah. That's a theory. Like it, and because I've found people can be really open on it. And it's amazing how fast you build rapport and stuff. Yeah. As everyone gets used to virtual, I guess, you know, we kind of used, used to it now as well. It's all our, you know, everyone is kind of moving along in this world this way. Yeah. Look, I think the individual staff works well. My preference is team staff is better in person. I still think, look, have I done online team stuff and did it work? Yes, it did, actually. Kind of surprising me a bit. Maybe I just need to do more of it. But I feel like we're talking about team dynamics and relationships in the team. My personal opinion is that that is better done face-to-face. But individual coaching works online. Mm, yeah, I'd agree. I think if, if you can get people together, that's the best way. If we if we want people to get, if the goal is connection, right, then we need to get people together. We need to be connected. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That said, if if you can't get people together, it's still better that we get people together online than we don't get people together at all in terms of group group work or the dreaded hybrid workshop. Uh, where half the people oh. are online, half the people are in person. That is the worst. Maybe, again, a personal view, but uh, but uh, I'm not a fan. Either online or face-to-face, I think. Awesome, Ali. Those are their, their seven tips. So, you know, it's just interesting to have a look through and actually, you know, relate to a lot of what's in there, you know? So it was that, that whole person development, giving them the space to hit the pause button and reflect the tactical LSI to deal with stress. I'll, I'll have a go and I'll let you know how I get on. Short intensive programs can have a lot of value. But as we talked about, their tip number six was to have an ongoing, sustained check-in, keep it top of mind, keep it fresh. We talked about those barriers to psychological growth, which just on that as a closing remark, you know, as LSI debriefers, I think we want everyone to have this, you know, clouds part, oh, comes through and they have this massive insight and revelation, you know, that's going to change their world. But that doesn't always happen, you know. And so some people, I think as debriefers, we can open the door, but others have to, they have to choose to walk through it or not, you know. And so so it's up to them. And some people are ready to do that. Others aren't. And that's okay. And, and we have to be content just planting the seed sometimes. There's a seed of an idea there and hopefully it will get some water and maybe, you know, take root over time. That's okay. Then it was, oh, we talked about the sustained impacts and the last one was embracing online learning. And I think, you know, over these last few years, I've really come around to it to the point, I dare say, maybe I almost prefer an online debrief. I don't know if you're allowed to say that, but I quite enjoy them. (laughs) Controversial note to end on. Awesome. (laughs) So that was uh, from the Harvard Business Review. You know, fun to go through. Maybe, um, you know, it's an idea. We could pull out some of these different articles and, and chat to them is quite a fun thing to do. So thanks for your time today, Ali. And I hope that was useful for people out there. If you're designing a leadership program or thinking of doing it, those are some tips for you and maybe how to integrate the LSI as part of that. Awesome. Thanks, Ali. Great. Thanks a lot, Tom. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, 
email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au. Thank you.